Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And we are, I'm very excited because we're going to have a guest on today who is actually going to explain Industry 4.0 and all of its technology and how to implement it. And I've struggled with it forever. And we've done a lot of radio shows with a lot of people on it. So I'm glad that Ben is here to sum it all up for us, Lou. Maybe he can make sense of it for us. Well, I I hope so. Uh, You and I try and make sense of it, but we're wrong a lot of the times. So uh, Ben Marsh uh, from Scout Systems is uh, going to clear it up, and uh, hopefully we'll get the message out to our uh, audience and our our listeners, and um, hopefully we can solve some of their problems and issues. So, Tim, why don't you do the intro, and let's rock and roll. Oh, glad to. I hope we didn't put too much pressure on our guests, but Ben Marsh is CEO of Scout Systems, and he travels the world helping manufacturers implement Industry 4.0 technology. And Ben, I'm thrilled to have you on the show so I can figure out how that's done. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Excellent. Well, thank you both for the invitation. I love the opportunity to talk to manufacturers about this kind of technology. So where do you start this conversation with them, Ben? Man, that's a good question. <laughs> so in my experience, most of the companies that I meet and I talk to you, they see this world of what they think the Industry 4.0 is. And maybe that's uh, goggles that you're wearing that will show you a video of what you're working on, or it's going to be just all interconnected devices, in which it very much could become that in the future. But the question is, is how do you go from having equipment that could be 50, 60, or 100 years old even, and how do you migrate from that factory into the modern day. And what I specialize in is helping customers figure out how do you take the first step in moving in that direction without destroying the company culture, especially when uh, turnover and getting employee retention into manufacturing is already a difficult challenge. So to me, the very, very first step is taking that first step into a digital world, getting rid of paper. I think that's the place where most companies need to start. I, I would agree. Lou? Well, I, I have a problem with that. I, I'm a, I'm a, I've become a digital guy, but I still love paper. So, for example, I'm going to give you an example. When we sure. do this show, when I do this show, I mean, I have a computer in front of me, and you know, I, I see what we're talking about, but I also have a piece of paper that talks about what you're talking about, so I can flip from page to page, and, I, and I, I love my paper. So there are some of us who are in manufacturing that no matter what you do, even though what you're doing is great stuff, paper still works. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what your experience is. Uh, I have to wipe the blood from my cheeks. I'm biting my tongue on that one. Uh, paper, don't still work. <laughs> Paper still works the same way a horse carriage still technically works. There's just significant advantages <laughs> when you improve the technology. So, like, for example, we're going to talk about, like, using paper as a notes. If you wanted to look up a specific term, you can't hit Control-F and then run a search function on a paper notepad. 
It just can't be available. But if you are typing that transcript in and you have it on an electrical device, you now have a much easier way of doing lookups, uh, searching. You could have spelling automatically corrected. You could have grammar uh, suggestions to improve. There's all these elements that if you were to take that same type of analogy and mix it into manufacturing and to say that rather than grammar, it could be a quality audit check, or rather than a lookup, it could be a revision. By going into the realm of the digital world, you could have those things like instant revision control, and you could have your quality and your first article inspections done in a way that it doesn't need to have a second layer of data entry. And by expediting some of those things, it starts to open up a world to manufacturers that they couldn't even see because once they leave the paper world, they now have unlocked features that they could start to process their own internal logistics so much faster and more accurately. All right, so let me just introduce uh, you know my perception of it, and I, I'm certainly not criticizing your point or no, your uh, your product and so on. But the point is that manufacturers, and we're talking about small to medium size, the OEM guys, you know, they they've gotten it uh, under control. But the small to medium size, which probably represents the uh, uh, most expansive aspect of manufacturing, so they're busy making things they're busy uh-huh. uh dealing with issues dealing with employees dealing with unions or non-unions and health care and all of that stuff but they need to uh they they don't totally get it yet and I, and i would think that you would agree with that that they first have to be understanding and taught or retaught about the value of what you're doing so that they Absolutely. understand uh, so they understand what's ahead of them uh, do, you, do you have any comments regarding that yeah no and that, no, I, i'm glad you asked that question because i would agree with you 100 percent of the way on that one uh and i think the reason why the industry 4.0 and iot can be something that's it's more deceiving it's a, it's a marketing term that people toss around very loosely and the fact of the matter is when, it, when you take that first step into a digital world, it does not need to be complex. When we help companies do it, literally the day that we turn our system on for them, they are benefiting from it the same day. There's, there's no upfront work. There's no complex engineering, and there's no distraction from your production floor. It is something that you can literally flip a switch and go live. But the things that I like to point out to companies the very beginning is let's say you do have a fab shop that's old school and you have paper travelers or maybe even you've gone lean and you have Kanban and you have a polling system that works well for you and you just use your, your uh, postcards as an organizational tool. All of that technically works. But now let's say you have a rush job and you need to find out where do we stand with the production order. That means that you have to talk to somebody, you have to send them an email or that person has to go to the floor and talk to the operator and get a sense of where are we. Are we going to hit our numbers today? All of that discussion point is a waste of labor when you have a digital platform because that information is immediately transcribed to the person that's looking for it. So when you have a factory, you have your local job shop ERP system, and you have all these things in place, by moving into the digital world does not mean you have to disrupt that. It just purely gives you an instantaneous visibility. The uptime of your equipment, the work orders that are being built, projected completion times, that stuff is all obtainable the very first day. All the other features that I could talk about further, those are things that I would recommend companies wait a couple months, take those initial steps, 
and see where you need to invest. What areas are you hurting? And then invest in those areas rather than blindly invest time and money into something that might not actually fit for you. So to continue my point, your point, uh, when you are uh, discussing with a potential new client, new manufacturer to your, your organization, um, and, and let me just qualify, are a lot of your uh, clients small to medium-sized companies? Yeah, I would say the, the majority, probably 80% are on the small to mid-size. We do have okay. a few Fortune 100 companies, but to us, they all kind of function the same. Okay, so uh, to my point about the small to medium-sized companies, you know, they're they're busy making things and they're they're involved, as I stated before, in all kinds of issues and so on. So when you get a potential new client, you have to explain to them where you are at in terms of being able to make things better for them. Do you get do you get much pushback from them? Are they are they bought it? Once you reach out to them, whether they contact you or you contact them, do they get it? Do they understand what's coming down the road? That you know, I used to have an expression: uh, uh, All Metals and Forge Group, which is our um, manufacturing arm of uh, what we're doing here. Um, in 1994, we went for the ISO certification, and at that time, it was all new, and my friendly competitors would say, you know, why are you doing that? Why are you letting a foreign country um, control your quality control process? And I, my continued uh, response, even to this day, is that if you don't do it now, you'll do it later. And if you don't do it later, you'll be out of business. So this is the same kind of thing that I think that you're presenting, that either you uh, buy into this and help your business along, or you'll be, you'll be done, you'll be toast. So I leave it now, the rest of that to you. To <laughs> sure. Respond to All me. right. Well, then let me, let me rewind back a little bit on my history. So I entered the manufacturing sector as a manufacturing engineer, and then I later got my black belt in Lean Six Sigma, and I just became a data-obsessed person. And every project that I would ever work on, they all started the same, where my manager would ask me, I go improve this area of our plant. They would just basically give me the deliverables. We want higher throughput. We want safety to go up. We want quality, of course, to go up as well. And they'd say, go tell us what we need to do. And it would require months of my time and my staff time where we would do samples. We would do data uh, collection using clipboards and stopwatches. And we'd spend a great deal amount of time just trying to understand the process before we could begin to improve it. Now, that was with a company that had the resources to have a manufacturing engineering team. And then if we were to go to a smaller plant, uh, some of our customers don't even have a single manufacturing engineer. So then to them, how would the smaller companies be able to fight against a much larger organization that has these resources? So the, the fact of the matter comes down to that initial capturing of data that was done by a team of people that collected information and presented to managers so they can make an educated decision. All of that can be automated. So when I talk to these smaller companies, we call it our, our data maturity. Data, day one, the data maturity level is quite low. These companies are just trying to get a sense of what can this do for my plant. 
But as they start to see this, this information come to them in a clean way that doesn't lead to this analysis paralysis, where they have obscene amounts of data and don't know what to do from this, instead they're seeing automated reports that are showing them that their overall equipment effectiveness is increasing or it's decreasing. They could see with a click of a button, what are the top issues that we have in our factory? And rather than set budgetary goals for next year of saying that we want to buy two more machines because we think that's going to improve our throughput, customers of ours are able to find out that rather than buying an expensive machine at a fraction of the cost, we could buy a better loader or an unloader and we'd be able to get the same level of capacity increase without that large capital investment. And as these companies are discovering this, this is where we would say that data maturity and that that awareness is coming more and more uh, prevalent in manufacturers. And at that point, they can then decide more effectively what do you need to invest in to compete at a better global level. That that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. but you know the the days of the horseshoe manufacturer when automotive uh, uh, Ford started doing their thing with the automobile. I'm sure there was some uh, hardcore pushback and resistance that oh this automobile is just a fad, uh, which wow. obviously turned out to be not true. Uh, so the the pushback is is a concern not only for the company but for their employees. Um, yes. Have, uh, in, do you have a comment on that? I, I absolutely, I do. So the there's a couple different forms of pushback that we might see. So there's the old school thought of this has been working for us. Why do we want to disrupt it? Which there you the go. most the the easiest challenge that I ever have to that one is similar to the question that, or the statement that you made earlier. Is the question that I like to ask customers is, do you think that you have competition out there? And the answer is almost always yes. And then the question would be is, do you think other companies or do you think you have new competition that is emerging? And that is almost always yes. And then I follow that up with one final one and is, do you think that the companies that are emerging, brand new competitors, are they doing it exactly the way that you are doing your process or are they taking advantage of new technological advancements that you don't currently employ? And again, that is almost unanimously that they would agree that there's better ways of doing it. So then with that knowledge, knowing that you have new competitors that are entering the market, that are taking those technological steps forward, that are going to work to their advantage, that eventually is going to eat into your market. So even though your process might have worked for the time being, we are growing in this global economy. As the developing worlds are continuing to grow, there's emerging markets that we need to be able to keep up. And if we're not growing our market control, then we're going to fall behind as other manufacturers are going to have way larger capacity. The other area that we struggle with initially is that immediate operator pushback. The moment Big Brother, or they call us Big Brother, would enter into a manufacturing facility, the concern is, oh, great, they're going to kick my job out. I'm going to lose my job. My boss is just going to sit there and stare and watch me work. These are like the, the initial thoughts that some operators might go through in the fear that this system is going to get them in trouble. When I see that, that's usually a first sign that the company culture needs some work, and that's not necessarily my position to work with the customer for that, but I do show them how they can utilize a system such as ours to improve their company morale. And the best example that I have of that is I have a customer that has a a large fabrication shop where the product is so massive that literally every product has to be picked up by a forklift or a crane. 
And before we showed up, the operators complained almost daily that the company did not have enough forklifts available to the operators. So when the supervisors would go and speak to their staff and ask them, why are we not hitting our numbers, the operators kept pushing back and saying that we can't physically do it, but management is looking at their nesting software, they're looking at their numbers and their data collection historically, and they believe it can be done. So now fast forward, a month into using our technology, the operators had the ability to put a fault code of saying waiting for forklift or crane. That amount of downtime that the company was able to measure in a single month proved to the management that the ROI on buying another forklift was there. So one month into using this quote-unquote big brother system, the operators realized that this is giving them a voice, a dollar sign specifically assigned to their voice. And as companies begin to listen, and especially listen with the monetary uh, pitch, they're able to figure out where are the areas that we're both hurting. Those operators don't like sitting around for two hours a day waiting for a forklift or crane. It gets boring. So if they have a proper flow of material, the operators are stay, stay more busy, and as well as the capacity of the plant goes up. It's a win-win for both parties. And then as you do this more, as you start to realize that by listening to our operators and measuring the problems that they see in our plant, it gives us the ability as supervisors to be able to better equip them with the tools needed to do the job at the highest levels that they can perform. And that is usually the best case that I've seen. Uh, ben, I, I appreciate that story, but I'd like to just introduce one aspect, that entrepreneurship is a very strong component in our manufacturing world, particularly here in the United States. So you're now saying that the business owner or business manager needs to have a software program to tell them what they intuitively should know as an entrepreneur that, well, I think that we need to buy a new forklift. And I'm not sure that, uh, and I'm, I'm certainly not criticizing your input with your software, but the point is that there's entrepreneurship where intuitively, you know, well, wait a minute, I need another forklift. And I don't know if I need to have all this software and data and so on. All I got to do is walk out on the floor and take a look. And I see, um, you know, three or four guys sitting around smoking cigarettes and having beers or coffee. And uh, wow. Do we need a new forklift? Well, on that one, that would be just <laughs> one short example. <laughs> so common problems that manufacturers will run into that we see is you have the rush job, and that rush job leads to an immediate cancellation of one job, and then you have the downtime for the changeover, so you have that lost time. You have material that's sitting in whip or work in progress that is not moving, and the question is how much whip do we have? How long does it take our operators to do a setup? Do we have different operators that can perform at different speeds? How long does it take to train a new operator to get up to speed with one of the veteran operators? When you're running your production order, how long is the cycle time? And of that cycle time, how much is the product actually being made as opposed to material loading and unloading or the gantry of the system moving? There's a lot of details in there that go beyond just that intuitive notice of whether or not we need another forklift or a crane or if we need to put another bathroom in our facility to give operators more access to it. Of course, there's a degree of intuit, uh, intuition that we are a redundancy of. But the thing that we do exceptionally well, and I say we as 
just general software technology as a whole, is 24 hours a day surveillance of absolutely everything in your plant. So if we can monitor every single machine and every single work order that's moving, as those entrepreneurs want to look into their data, rather than having them put more boots on the ground to try to see this content, instead we're being able to provide them a much cleaner representation in a very simple to read form. The technology itself costs only around a dollar a day. Our customers will see an ROI the same day that they turn the system on. So mm-hmm. this is not like we're stripping away tools from an entrepreneur by making it more complex, whereas instead what we're trying to do is to make them more equipped by providing both the operators and the management with insight. I think that's a great response, and uh, you you got me back. <laughs> Good. <laughs> now, but keep in mind, yeah. <laughs> well, I, this is all I do. But I want to add one more thing to this. Is that like what what we're discussing here is the rudimentary basics. Like I'm not talking about any of the advanced features. This is purely trying to convince a manufacturing plant to try getting rid of paper. Some of the benefits that they will see, like a piece of paper with a laser printer, black and white, that will cost you at least four cents for every single sheet. If you have 10 work orders a day and 10 travelers, that's 40 cents that you're going to lose right there. Now, if we're talking a dollar is the goal that you need to get, go to, you can immediately start to see that the paperwork that just goes around your plant is going to rack up that money. The communication and the downtime of your machinery and trying to find out where the work orders stand, our customers will often report around $16 a day as soon as they basically go digital, just on the basic notion of it. So the system in itself can have a wide range of benefits on the basic scale. Then as soon as you start to integrate this in with your ERP or you integrate it in with your tools and your equipment to get more advanced machine learning capability, and then you start to take a look at your individual tasks that take place and you zoom in further to it, you start to unlock a world that is hard to even imagine on the early stages. But what I try to do is just motivate manufacturers, try it. I mean, it's, it's such a low expense to start. See if it works, and if it doesn't work, which I've never seen this fail, uh, then you'll know. But if it does work, you're going to start to realize that you just unlocked a new world where you're going to your first CNC mill as opposed to an original bridge board. So get yourself taking that step into a digital fashion. You will begin to see that you're going to be able to improve your facility. So before we go too far into our discussion, let's uh, let's get your website address out there so that our audience can uh, take a look, a deeper dive as to who and what you're all about. Well, excellent. Yeah, our website, uh, scout.systems. So S-C-O-U-T dot S-Y-S-T-E-M-S. So no dot com, none of that, just scout.systems. That will take you to our website, and you'll see a little bit of the information where we are an overarching platform, so you have HQ, Compass, and our hardware is called Tracker. Now our goal here is to provide companies a very flexible system that is very straightforward, and then as you choose to use it, the system becomes intelligent and it will learn about your facility on its own. So there's a lot of content on the website, uh, but if somebody would love to uh, reach out to us, just go to the contact form and somebody here, possibly myself, would be happy to answer any questions. Well, that being the case, how about we talk about your phone number so that they can reach uh-huh. out and talk to talk talk to somebody in in your sales and uh, marketing side. Yeah, and uh, our direct line is two five three three two nine two four 
1-800-273-5160. And that's going to go to our main office line where we still have everything done with people. Even though we are a digital system, we still like to make sure that we provide that hands-on customer service. Yeah, that's really important to get a real live person instead of, uh, you know, in, instead of uh, hit this, hit that, number two, number five, I hate it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Something I take really pride in is with, with Scout, what we try to do is we recognize that this is a, a kind of a scary step for a lot of manufacturers to make. And a common flaw is they want to figure everything out before they start. And I tell all of the customers that I work with directly that this is all we do. So for you to investigate your own computer systems or for you to investigate uh, the best way of getting this done on the plant floor, how are we going to go through and implement this change process, we offer all that assistance at no cost. So whether it's training your staff or pre-training your staff or creating these videos to walk them through what this is going to look like for them, we do everything with the customer to make sure that this is a successful implementation. If this change process fails, then we don't get any new business. So for us, it is imperative that new manufacturers that take on the challenge of going digital succeed. So if there's any companies out there that are listening to this that are intrigued by this, it's, it's simply a phone call away, and we will work with, you, uh, work with you through this whole process to figure out how can we make this work in your facility. Ben, you've brought up some very interesting points, operator buy-in and actually using data collection to increase morale. And there's another bugaboo that you also address, and I'd like you to talk to our listeners about it, and that is getting them to trust the cloud. Ah, <laughs> yes. So that is... That's another one where I have to bite my tongue on. So we, <laughs> we as a culture fear the cloud because there's been breaches in technology. And, of course, security is incredibly, incredibly concerning. Uh, we, as a company that are 100% cloud-based, we cannot patent our math. Uh, we're not allowed to anymore uh, so due to a law that changed a couple years ago. So 100% of all of our proprietary technology sits on the cloud. And as the CEO of this company that we've invested millions of dollars developing this technology, we have to keep it safe. So everything that our customers have, all the data that we possess, is in the same infrastructure that protects all of our proprietary content. So when you consider the risk of a cloud, uh, it's only fair that you consider the risks of an on-prem server. If you have a fire or a sprinkler system over overheating device, you could potentially destroy a server which holds all of your content. The advantages of going to cloud computing is that you have a dynamic server with multiple different nodes and systems that do robust backups. So if one server was to be destroyed, it would take a matter of seconds or maybe minutes to then reroute it to a different node where we have a backup file. So with our system, we use Microsoft's cloud server, so we have it on the east and the west coast, of course, but we also then hire three different companies that we use for higher advanced levels of security. So we pay companies to try to hack into our server. Um, another benefit, of, yeah, it's true. We, we want to do everything we can to make sure that that is profoundly secure. The other major, major benefit of cloud is that as you have Windows updates or if you have any kind of computer operating system that you do an update to, that can sometimes have a negative impact on software. And that's why companies will provide those maintenance packages where they'll do these big updates or IT companies will force you to to not update, keeping your system legacy because it continues to work. 
But then you take uh, losses in technological advancements. By migrating to the cloud, you have the ability to have instantaneous maintenance done. Your IT department does not have to update these platforms, update patches for security. It's all done automated. So you're going to reduce the labor that goes into your IT department, and instead they can focus on how do they use the back end, or what are called APIs, to do more advanced and custom integration with your other existing platforms. So cloud computing can have some concerns, but I would also, again, want to reiterate that it's important to consider the concerns of an on-prem and then weigh those two independently. Uh, ben, so I, I gather from some of the research I've done uh, about your organization that you not only uh, have clients and business activities here in the U.S., but you also are international. Uh, you want to give us some insight into what you're doing internationally? Yeah, certainly. So uh, years and years ago when we first founded the company, we started in the Pacific Northwest, which is where we are. And as we continued to grow, uh, we had a large company that wanted us to experiment in Mexico. So moving into an international company uh, a couple years back, this was our first adventure doing so. Uh, I encouraged the staff here at Scout to take Spanish classes. So now the majority of Scout personnel can also speak in Spanish. We w took that business very seriously because we saw that as the investigation and the learning curve for our company to grow. And we have since succeeded now in multiple uh, expansions into Mexico. We're in the UK, uh, we're in China, we're in Brazil. Um, we're, we're scanning or expanding quite quickly into other countries. That, in the software world, uh, there's a little bit some uh, hurdles that we have to go over, like legality uh, and privacy laws. But we make it very easy for the end customer. Uh, we've worked with them successfully. We have multiple languages in, ingrained into our platform. So you can flip-flop back and forth between the languages so you could document here in the United States, all in English, and if you have a secondary sister plan in Mexico, they can view all of your content in Spanish comfortably. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Uh, it's almost uh, getting easy to deal with uh, the Tower of Babel issue that existed <laughs> thousands of years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Another perk of uh, going digital. That's right. That was that was the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine imagine having a paper binder for every single language out there, and amount the reams of uh, pages that you would have to go through. Whereas, again, right. a digital platform, it's all free. There you go. Why don't you Why don't you tell us what your your model is for the the client in terms of uh, how you make money and how they have to pay so that you make money? Are, are you is this uh, a pay-for? Is it a lease? Is it uh, a monthly service charge? Tell us how it is. Yeah. So we do ours as a software, as a subscription, or SaaS, as the industry will refer to it. Uh, so what's nice about that is the entry cost is non-existent. Uh, we can do everything remote. So whether we're doing an installation or servicing, everything can be done from our home office. We have a lot of people that work from home directly. So uh, regardless of the location of the factory, we can provide what we call onboarding, which is learning about your facility through web conference calls. Uh, we do that no cost. So we'll configure your account, get everything dialed in the way that you help us picture it, and then we move forward with a remote installation. So that, again, there's no cost to that. The only cost that you have is the individual stations that have our embedded uh, encryption key, which is at the plant floor. 
So if you have 15 stations in your factory, it would be just 15 different individual costs that you would have to do. Our lowest cost that we provide, we call that project or the product lean, and that's only $30 a month. So you can figure out very quickly how the scaling can come about. Uh, most of our customers, as I said, they'll get their ROI almost immediately upon turning the system on. But I always recommend new customers, date before you marry, start with a handful of stations, maybe only five, see if it truly works. And then as you experiment with it, you'll learn some stuff about your factory while you're taking these entry steps into digital. You'll find out what your true ROI is, and then you can factor out scaling from there. Uh, the, the man – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. So then we have a, a management program that we call HQ, which is where you can review and analyze all your production data. That is zero cost as well. So the entry cost is free. The subscription cost, we try to keep it as low as possible. And then all of your users, all your management platforms, that's all included at no cost. We should have talked about your pricing right at the beginning of the show so that more <laughs> of the people that were in the show or listening to the show at the beginning could have heard the number and they would have stuck it out. Uh, typically, <laughs> not everybody is always at the end, but the point is that that's really quite incredible. Um, and and I, I hope you're making your numbers. Uh, oh, we, we've at, been at having, the... yeah, it's been, we've been having wonderful success. And what I'll be, I'll be honest with you, and like I like to tell this brutally honestly to the, our customers, is that they ask me, what's the catch? And there's two catches. Uh, the first catch is, is that you're going to pay me for the, le- the life of your company because our goal is to win your business forever. And the good news is, is that means that it's going to be making value to you. So this is not, uh, I'm going to buy a machine and forget about you. This is, you're essentially hiring us as a very cheap employee that's going to serve you 24-7, 365 days a year. So that's the first catch. The second catch, and this one I find quite enjoyable, is that my customers will frequently say, you're going to discover how many things are wrong with your facility, and you're going to start (laughs) putting in a lot of time and energy into improving it. So that I also see as a good thing. Because as soon as you start to live in a glass house and you can start to see those problems when you look inward, you're going to realize what you need to fix, and then you can prioritize that. Uh, this is uh, really, really terrific. And like yeah. I said, we should have had this at the beginning of the show. But <laughs> Ben, I, before we uh, kind of wrap this up, I want you to touch on two more subjects for me, which I think are important sure. to listeners. One is that, you know, they're always, we're always thinking about automation. We think about a robot going into place. But there are more forms of automation than just robots. What do you run into on the factory floor? And I'm always thinking, you know, I ought to be able to put a sensor on a hammer, and then I know how many times the hammer was swung. And, by the way, I know where the dang thing is when I lay it down when I went to the bathroom. So yes. what, kind of, what kind of automation is out there? Oh, man, this one, we, we should probably do two or three more shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I get so excited about this digital step, is that the way that I, I could paint you so many pictures, but the moment you go digital, you now have the ability to have tools, talking to your ERP, talking to your data collection systems, talking to your machinery. Our system, we do have an upgrade version that includes maintenance. And what we can do is exactly what you talked about. I want to know how many times does my press brake go up and down? How many cuts has my sheared made? Because if you want to set your, your rotation schedule, rather than saying every three months we do a blade change, you might say it's after 5,000 cuts. 
And if you could start to count every single cut, and if you could track how much time your torches have been cutting metal, you could start to more accurately schedule your preventative maintenance. By doing that, you're getting a better yield out of your asset management. Then go to the next level. And we're talking about new types of robots. There's uh, the cobot technology that gets me really excited, specifically for material handlers. They have autonomous vehicles that are moving material from one location to the other. We don't need to put enormous infrastructure for conveyor systems that take up a bunch of space. In the future, as you start to embed this technology, imagine having a cart that moves product from one location to the other, all autonomously, and all triggered by the fact that the work order is finished and the next one's about to begin. You could start to have this autonomous conveyor system. You could start to have really control of your maintenance and lower your downtimes throughout the year, uh, your training time. You could implement in digital work instructions. So rather than using a complex blueprint, you're instead showing the operators picture by picture and integrate that in with your tools to verify that the quality is being done. Uh, if you want SPC analysis, you could have the measurements being taken directly by the operator station, embedded locally into the work instruction, and then being processed by a system so your quality department can see the results in live time. Like, all of these things that you can't currently do in a paper factory, you start to open up opportunities. And going back to that earlier discussion, that the, uh, the, the entrepreneur who is trying to revolutionize the way that their factory is done, once they could see this, this insight and they realize that their problem might be material handling or their problem might be their quality auditing, once they discover more profoundly what their issue is, they'll be able to better invest in process improvements to be able to perfect that and stand out amongst their competition. Well, I caught the point and the dig about the paper society. <laughs> so I, I just want to let you know that I caught that. Um, and uh, you're almost making me feel like I'm wrong looking at the piece of paper about you and your company right now. But it, it, it really is true. And I hope that our listeners can understand and perhaps go to your site and get a full, fuller uh, perspective on uh, your process and what they may gain out of it. So uh, I, I really wish to thank you for being here uh, with us. Oh, well, thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Uh, ben, we've enjoyed it, and uh, you've been a terrific guest, and you're very well spoken. So we appreciate you being on the show. And by the way, if something unique happens, we always like hearing the story from the boots on the ground perspective what we what we did at this manufacturing plant how it changed their life if you have one of those feel free to reach back to us because we'd love to have you on the show again certainly I'll, I'll definitely keep my ears out for a good story and i'll pass those along great thanks for <laughs> appreciate having you here and we've been speaking with ben marsh who is the ceo of scout systems again that's scout.systems we're getting used to some new domain extensions out there, and the dot .systems domain is one of them. So that's why Ben's company is at Scout.Systems. And we appreciate having him on the show. Lou, uh, terrific to learn this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great. I, actually, I may wind up having to cancel my paper order with Staples uh, <laughs> because this, this really makes uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And... Uh, uh, you, you just need to know, um, you know, how it will ultimately possibly possibly 
positively affect you and your company. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah, clearly it's going to have some great benefits. So we encourage our listeners to go to scout.systems and check out what Ben's offerings are and get a hold of them because there's a lot of front-end stuff and discussions that they can do for free. As always, all of our library of shows are at mfgtalkradio.com, along with links to our other shows like Women in Manufacturing, Where's Willie, Manufacturing with Cliff Waldman, and I'm going to have to put in a uh, pre-recorded canned wrap-up to the show because we're getting so many shows, I'll lose track of most of them soon. (laughs) (laughs) And let's not forget forget, uh, Live with Amy. Yeah, full time with uh, Amy Nicholas full is time another with one. Amy, right. So got lots of exciting things for you, plus news articles that we post, white papers that we post. Some of the shows have uh, attached uh, PDFs for you folks to download. So visit us often, and thanks again for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.